Hello and welcome to Stories from India, a podcast where we talk about myths, legends and folk tales from India. I am your host Narad Muni and I'm a mythological character myself. I have the gift of eternal life and knowledge of the past, the present and the future. By profession, I'm a traveling musician and a storyteller. So the way I'm doing my job is by podcast. In this episode, we are doing a folk tale from Tamil Nadu. It's a rather popular tale you might have heard before. In fact, one of you listeners requested it. The story begins with a poor simple man and his wife. Let's call the man Adishtasali and his wife Tia. The man's claim to fame was a lack of fame he was an ordinary and poor villager like all other people in his village he was born into a poor family he had absolutely no schooling whatsoever and began making and selling pots at the age of 5 which seems like a very early age to enter the workforce but child labor laws in medieval india were not particularly favorable to children adishtasali grew up following societal norms at the appropriate age it was decided by his father that adishtasali needed to take on the role of growing their family which meant that he had to get married first and so he did to tia but that's where his family extending attempts stalled the couple were childless this made everyone in adishtasali's family very nervous they decided that the only solution to this was to consult with the astrologer because they really wanted to know which planet to pray to was saturn upset with tia for having eaten the two apples they were saving for grandma or was it jupiter was jupiter angry that adishtasali had dropped the cup of tea so carelessly the other day astrologers were in high demand back then that meant adishtasali's family had to make do with the fussy one whom no one liked in between constant complaints about everything The astrologer looked over the horoscopes. Was it because Tia ate the apples? asked Adishtasali's father anxiously. Was it the cup of tea? asked his mother. It's always the girl, said the astrologer. Oh yeah, that totally makes sense, said Adishtasali's father, who coming from a patriarchal society was a firm believer of male supremacy the astrologer another member of said patriarchal society casually suggested that the solution was simple replace the girl or supplement her he didn't really care he just needed to move on to his next client and just as a reminder his bill was due on tuesday 
So Adish Tasali's parents arranged a second wedding for their boy. Tia was clearly displeased, as you can imagine. She didn't simply accept and move on. And her husband clearly lacked a voice of his own in front of his father. Unlike his wife, he accepted it and moved on. Tia was relegated to doing household chores, including the cooking and cleaning. As it turned out, the astrologer's suggestion actually worked. Because not long after their marriage, Adishtasali and his new wife were expecting a child. It was the custom for a new mother to bear her child at her parents' place. Adishtasali's parents were not complaining about that arrangement. Less mouths to feed, even if it was for just a few months. But Adishtasali wasn't in the best of spirits. He missed his new bride. One day, he managed to get permission from his authoritarian father to go and see her. Ask the cook to pack you some food so you can take it with you, his father said. We have a cook? asked Adishtasali, surprised. I was talking about Tia, his father said. But you're right. I can't call her a cook. She's also the maid and the cleaning lady and the dishwasher and the washerwoman. I'll think of a new name for her. You go on. No need for you to hang around here. Adishtasali found Tia doing the dishes. The lady, who until recently had been treated like a queen, was now relegated to such a lowly position in the household. When Adishtasali asked her for food, he had the decency to ask politely, All right, food for whom? For you to eat on the journey? Or for your new wife? Adishtasali didn't know what his father had meant. So he just said, Both. Tia smiled at herself. This was what she was waiting for. A chance to take revenge. The indignity of her demotion had hurt her so much. It was wife number two who was responsible for her condition. So Tia thought. Maybe it was because she had been conditioned not to blame the patriarchy. She decided to take revenge on her replacement by poisoning her. This was an elaborate bit of poisoning because Tia made over a hundred gulab jamuns. Gulab jamun, in case you don't know, is a very tasty fried dessert. Check out the links in the show notes to see what it looks like. Tia poisoned exactly 100 of those gulab jamuns. But she also made a dozen safe gulab jamuns for Adishtasali and packed them in a separate box. When she handed them to her husband, she cautioned him multiple times. He must 
only eat from his own box. Wife 2.0 would be getting all hundred of the gulab jamuns in the other box. He must not taste them. And it was easy to explain why. Superstition. If his pregnant wife did not eat all hundred of those gulab jamuns, her child would not be a healthy one. Adis Jasali should not have bought that argument at all. Gulab jamuns may be tasty, but there are hardly any health benefits from eating them. On the contrary, eating a hundred gulab jamuns was a sure shot way of developing new health problems. To the extent that maybe Tia shouldn't even have bothered poisoning them. But Adishtasali was lucky that she actually poisoned the hundred gulab jamuns. And we'll see why. Adishtasali's journey towards his wife's village took two days and crossed over a neighboring kingdom. Yeah, so his second marriage had transcended physical borders in addition to societal ones. That king in that neighboring kingdom had been having a particular problem. The problem was caused by a major disagreement between a bandit chief and the king on whether or not said bandit chief could marry the princess. And just to be clear, it was not the king who was trying to force the bandit to marry his daughter. The bandit promised to wreak havoc on the kingdom if his demands weren't met. And when the king refused the 25th time to let the bandit marry the princess, that was the final straw. The bandit decided that the princess would marry him with or without her father's consent, and without her consent too. But that didn't matter. This kingdom was just as patriarchal as Adishtasali's village had been. The bandit chief had his group of hundred bandits take on a very daring mission. The bandit chief had his group of hundred bandits take on a very daring mission. The biggest heist of his, I mean their careers, he called it. They would carry off the princess herself. All hundred bandits would sneak into the palace, go to the princess's chambers and carry her off, still sleeping, in her bed. And if the princess stayed sleeping until she was brought to the bandit's secret hideout, there would be a bonus. For everyone, the bandit chief would contribute an extra thousand rupees to each bandit's retirement plan. Double that if they managed to do it without palace security discovering it until the next morning. That was motivation enough. So the bandits sneaked into the palace in the dead of night. All hundred of them. It was a carefully planned and well-rehearsed heist so no alarms were tripped and no sentries were alerted. The princess herself continued to rest peacefully, not aware of the difference between sleeping indoors in a palace and sleeping on a bed 
being carried away by bandits. There were no shock absorbers on the bed either, so the princess ought to have felt something when her bed was being carried. The moment I had revealed that there were a hundred bandits, you probably guessed what happened next. Yes, the hundred bandits carrying off the princess, just by chance, happened to pass by Adishtasali. Adishtasali was sleeping under a tree. It was a long journey, and Adishtasali had polished off his share of gulab jamuns. Bandit minion number one suggested that they stop and examine the sleeping passerby to see if he had food on him. Carrying a bed for so long had made him tired and hungry. Bandits two through hundred all agreed, except bandit number 57, who thought they would risk waking up the princess and jeopardizing one of their bonuses. Bandit number 34 investigated and reported that the box that the sleeping traveler had with him was full of gulab jamuns. He couldn't be sure, but he thought there were exactly a hundred of them. Hooray, said all the other bandits. Each one grabbed one. But being polite, civilized bandits, they waited until each had received one before eating. When they did, the effects were immediate. The deadly poison instantly did what the king's armies had been unable to. The bandit chief was no longer a bandit chief because there were no bandits to be chief of. Adishtasali luckily woke up before the princess did. That way, when he did wake up and looked around, he saw the opportunity of a lifetime. Passing through this kingdom, he had seen enough wanted posters to recognize the bandits for what they were. And seeing the princess, he guessed their mission correctly as well. The only thing he was uncertain about was why they had all passed away. He could clearly see that they had eaten the gulab jamuns Tia had packed. But how did it come to be that they all simultaneously passed away? Maybe they were all allergic to gulab jamuns. Regardless, Adishtasali woke up the princess and told her an amazing and entirely fictitious tale of how he had single-handedly conquered a hundred bandits to rescue her. He repeated the story again to the king a few hours later. The king was initially skeptical. I mean, how could one man defeat a hundred notorious bandits? But then, the circumstantial evidence began to pile up. The nighttime footage from the CCTV cameras did not show Adishtasali in the crowd of bandits raiding the palace. And Adishtasali even led them to where all the bandits' bodies were. Forensic science 
was not advanced enough to distinguish between poisoning and blows to the head during autopsies. The king marveled at this man. This man must be special. The king spoke to the princess who wholeheartedly agreed with the idea of marrying the stranger even though she didn't know anything about him including whether he was already married and whether he had the profession and the income to support her glamorous lifestyle and for that matter she didn't even know his name well all those things could be rectified and they were adishtasali was married to the princess while back home waiting for him were tia and his second wife and the child whom adishtasali hadn't even seen yet after his wedding to the princess he got used to palace life and seemed firmly on the path to inheriting the kingdom everything was going fine and then things took a bit of a turn for the worse no it wasn't the former bandit chief trying to take revenge that guy has passed out of our story he opened a tea shop and started earning an honest rupee even if he did sort of cheat his customers by charging them too much for the cookies what happened was actually another long-standing problem that the kingdom had. This one was a man-eating lioness that terrorized the kingdom. When the king appealed to her, she agreed to stop killing indiscriminately. But in return, she demanded payment every week. The king offered to pay by credit card. But the lioness insisted that the only currency she recognized was young men. And to be clear, these young men would be eaten. It had to be treated like a proper meal delivery service. The king must make sure that every dinner, i.e. a young man, would be sent with forks, knives and napkins. and a side of french fries although the lioness paused and added that maybe make it alternate between french fries and onion rings and last thing don't forget to include ketchup some men taste funny she had just eaten a clown earlier today the king agreed to all of the lioness's demands and thanked his lucky stars that he had no sons but one day someone mentioned in court that young men were running in short supply in the kingdom they would have to import some for an insane price from the next kingdom just to satisfy the lioness's hunger a minister at court made a suggestion at this point couldn't adishtasali solve the problem for them i mean he had killed a hundred bandits single handedly and without any weapons a single lioness 
should not be a problem, right? But it was. It was a big problem for Adishtasali. He could not back out now. Not after he had just finished telling for the hundredth time how he had anticipated bandit number 78's clever trick and preemptively knocked him out with a single well-placed blow. Well, son, said the king, then you should have no trouble with dealing with this lioness for me. Just use the kick you used on bandit 33 or the punch on bandit 92. Adishtasali gulped once or twice with the sudden realization that he had gotten himself into a new pickle. He weakly asked to be excused so he could go and rest for a while. He was suddenly feeling ill. Must have been something he ate. But he couldn't avoid the issue for long and he couldn't sneak out of the palace either. He didn't possess the natural abilities of those hundred other bandits who had managed to sneak out without alerting anyone. Adishtasali decided to take his chances. He had been lucky once. Maybe he could be lucky again. He went to the spot where the lioness's dinner was served. In his nervousness, he had forgotten to bring the fork and knife and napkins. The lioness would probably be upset and tear him from limb to limb. He arrived early and climbed a tree. He sat nervously waiting, his sword in hand. Adishtasali had insisted on taking a sword along, even though he had never used one before. Adishtasali got majorly lucky a second time in his life. The lioness approached and stood under the tree, wondering where her dinner was. She looked up and yawned, but when she did, Adishtasali got so nervous looking at her sharp teeth that he dropped his sword by accident. And that's where his luck came in. The sword landed precisely in the lioness's open mouth, piercing her and instantly killing her. Adishtasali jumped for joy. Lots of celebrations later, he dragged the lioness back to the palace and instantly reinforced everyone's notion of him as a hero. The post office issued a special stamp in his honor. And that is how Adishtasali's family and his two wives found out where he was. But before they came to meet him, one other thing happened. The king was extremely happy with his son-in-law. Adishtasali had taken care of two long-standing problems in the kingdom, which must mean that he could succeed on the third problem as well. What third problem? asked Adishtasali, nervously. Don't you worry, I'll explain it tomorrow. And he did explain it the next day. But by then, it was too late. The situation was like this. 
the king had to pay tribute to a neighboring more powerful emperor the emperor was a bully and the king had given in so far but seeing that he had such a powerful son-in-law who could kill a hundred bandits and a lioness with no effort at all the king thought that adishtasali should have no trouble against the emperor once more to not let himself be exposed as the coward that he was adishtasali reluctantly went into battle him against the emperor's army because the emperor had readied his army the moment he got the very insulting note from the king refusing to pay protection money now adishtasali had asked for the speediest horse and he had gotten the beast but it was also a bit inexperienced and not properly trained which meant that it had never felt a human on its back before the horse galloped like the wind while the king and others admired adishtasali's riding skills the reality was that the horse was panicking trying to throw this unfamiliar weight off of its back adishtasali was hanging on for dear life when he was out of sight of the king and kingdom adishtasali tried to get the horse to stop but it wouldn't he grabbed on to a passing tree but such was the power of the horse and the fact that the reins had snagged onto adishtasali's armor it was the tree that was uprooted from its spot rather than adishtasali falling off of his horse this was a lucky break because just then the horse and its rider were in the vicinity of the emperor's army the emperor had already heard of adishtasali's accomplishments including killing a hundred bandits and a ferocious lioness all of whom had also been problems that the emperor had himself been unable to solve the emperor was skeptical until now because now he looked at the battlefield and he saw a single warrior coming at them on a nasty looking horse but what was most impressive is that the warrior was carrying a tree a huge tree in his hands in reality we know of course that adishtasali was merely hanging on for dear life luckily for him his appearance alone had an effect that he could not have dreamt of the emperor panicked at the sight of this warrior and ordered his army to retreat he signed a treaty with the king that would start with the emperor paying tribute instead when the king and his hero son-in-law returned to the palace the final and biggest ordeal awaited adishtasali his entire family had assembled there including his previous two wives and the child he had never seen tear 
privately confessed her crime to her husband, which finally clarified in Adhishtasali's mind the reason the bandits had died. Adhishtasali forgave her because he thought that without her intervention, he would not have had a string of great luck. The two wives filed lawsuits alleging grievous mental trauma and divorced him and kept ownership of three-fourths of the kingdom, while Adhishtasali, the king and the princess, spent all their newly earned tribute money on parties. Well, that wasn't true. The original story merely ends with all of them living happily ever after in the palace. Adhishtasali's three wives simply accepted each other's existence and lived a happy life together. That's all for this week. A few notes. The original story describes Adhishtasali as an unnamed potmaker. But as is usual on the show, I have named the characters based on literal translations of words that describe their fortunes or their behavior. Adhishtasali is the Tamil word for lucky, and Tia means evil. There is the usual element of threes that we have seen so often in many episodes of this show. We have seen another element before, that of bandits carrying off a girl while she is asleep. That was in the Punjabi folktale, Bopoluchi, episode 63. Check the link in the show notes to hear that episode. In the next episode, we'll go back to the Singhasan Bhattisi. We'll see Raja Bhoj prepare to sit on the throne. But he gets interrupted because a doll decided to tell him a story. If you have comments or suggestions, or if there are particular stories that you would like to hear, please do let me know by leaving a comment or a review on the site sfipodcast.com or tweet at sfipodcast. You can also find me on Instagram or Facebook. Be sure to subscribe to the show to get notified automatically of new episodes. A big thank you to each and every one of you for your continued support and your feedback. The music is from purpleplanet.com. That's purple-planet.com. I'll see you next time.